Welcome to Cases and Controversies, a legal podcast by Bloomberg Law. I'm Kimberly Robinson, and I'm joined today by Jordan Rubin. Hey, guys. So, Jordan, I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot happened at the Supreme Court this week. Did it? Yeah, yeah, we, we had a few things. Uh, the Supreme Court wrapped up its 2017 term um, with a few bombshells at the uh, end of the term. And also... You're referring to the Florida-Georgia water case? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, also, there was uh, a retirement at the Supreme Court. Uh, just Chief Justice Roberts announced that his personal secretary would be retiring. Some big news. And also, I think, uh, Justice Kennedy... Justice Kennedy is gone. Justice Kennedy will be uh, retiring, and he is a man that uh, I've known for a long time and a man that I've respected for a long time. He's been a great justice of the Supreme Court. He, uh, he is uh, a man who is displaying great vision. He's displayed tremendous vision and tremendous heart, and he will be missed, uh, but he will be retiring. Right. That's right. He announced that he'll be stepping down from the high court bench on July 31st. So we're going to talk about all that uh, today and probably a little bit more. But Jordan, uh, let's first talk about uh, this last Supreme Court term. You know, in 2016, uh, the court was dealing with a divided uh, 4-4 court. And so we saw a lot of uh, unanimous opinions, a lot of consensus building. Uh, Did that carry over to this term? Well, I think we saw a divided court again now that they're back at uh, nine members. There were a lot of 5-4 decisions, a lot of division. It was not unanimous like it was last term, and we saw that in all different areas of the law. What are some of the sort of more divided cases that you saw that you were covering this term? Well, it really felt like there were most cases that came down uh, 5-4. You know, typically the court has about uh, 50% of its cases that are unanimous. Uh, Last term, it was 56% of their cases were unanimous. Uh, But this term, they only had 20 cases that were unanimous. That comes out to about a third. And they had almost the same exact number of 5-4 decisions as they did uh, 9-0 or 8-0 decisions. And those came down, like you said, in all kinds of different cases. So we had, of course, a 5-4 decision in the travel ban case, uh, a big Uh, The same split we saw uh, in Janus, the case about uh, public sector union fees. And even um, in in an abortion speech case, uh, the the court came down 5-4. And I think I also saw on the criminal side, a lot of the cases were divided. But I think in some ways it was sort of a, a different story. You did see sort of different coalitions joining each other in the majority and then in the middle of the pack. You had Chief Justice Roberts, Justice Kennedy, and Justice Gorsuch, who just completed his first full term. So on the criminal side, there were some 5-4 cases. There were a lot of divided cases. Not all of them were 5-4. The biggest case of the term, Carpenter, was a a 5-4 case, too. That one had uh, both Kennedy and Gorsuch in the dissent, although Gorsuch's dissent was in some ways like a concurrence, some people have said. So we'll see what how that winds up playing out in terms of how Gorsuch and the rest of the court rules in the cases that will fall out from Carpenter. 
Yeah, it's it's, um, it's interesting that we see the division really spread across all areas, um, civil and criminal, and every aspect of the civil. Uh, the civil. I, th- I thought it was really interesting that the last unanimous opinion we got from the court was on uh, June 18th, and all 18 opinions that followed had at least one dissenter. And indeed, the last seven opinions that the court handed down were all 5-4. Now, there was kind of a, a strange split in the Florida versus Georgia water dispute that you mentioned at the top. I'm glad, we, I'm glad we got that in. Um, but otherwise, it, it, pre- it tended to come down uh, along ideological lines. And now that Kennedy's leaving the court, do you think that we're going to continue to see that? What areas do you think Kennedy's retirement's going to affect? Well, yeah, I've been hearing a lot of people uh, say that this is a very consequential uh, nomination and retirement. We as a people are bound together. We as a people find our self-definition our respect, our heritage, and our destiny in the Constitution. And, of course, any nomination to the Supreme Court is a big deal. Any change in the membership of the Supreme Court is a big deal. I think people are especially concerned or um, happy, depending on what side you're on, about this nomination because, you know, before when Justice Gorsuch came in, he was replacing Justice Scalia, who was a conservative uh, through and through. And so... They, he wasn't going to change the makeup of the court that much. And I think, you know, in general, we've seen that be true this term and in the cases he participated in um, in 2016. This time around, Justice Kennedy is considered a swing vote. Um, he sometimes sides with liberals. And so, you know, people are concerned that, you know, the the people that are on President Trump's list are, are very conservative and that this could really swing the makeup of the court. After Kennedy's departure, the Supreme Court will be evenly divided between justices appointed by Republican presidents and justices appointed by Democratic presidents. Whoever fills Justice Kennedy's seat on the court will have the opportunity to impact the laws of the United States and the rights of its citizens. But, you know, Justice Kennedy is pretty conservative. In fact, you know, the court had 18 5-4 decisions this term, and in none of those did Justice Kennedy cross over to side with the liberals. And again, this was on some pretty big issues. Um, So I think in total, this nomination probably won't swing the court that much, but there are as you suggested, some really big issues um, that liberals care about where Justice Kennedy had crossed over. And I think the biggest ones are you know, abortion, um, LGBT rights, and uh, affirmative action. Right. And on the criminal side, I think one area probably where Kennedy was considered a swing vote is the death penalty and some other criminal matters. And so I don't know that his replacement will necessarily undo some of the the precedents that Kennedy's been involved in. He's either written or otherwise voted with the majority in several big death penalty cases saying that it's unconstitutional to execute certain classes of people, for example, juveniles, the mentally disabled people who did not commit homicides. And so some people I've spoken to in terms of uh, talking about who Kennedy's replacement will be I don't know that the thinking is so much that those precedents will be undone in the way that some people are concerned maybe about Roe versus Wade or some other decisions in the affirmative action context, but I think that people think that it's it's unlikely that uh, people who are seeking the abolition of the death penalty, for example, um, 
that fight probably will not be progressed by whoever replaces Justice Kennedy. But in some ways, some of those criminal decisions in the death penalty context and some other contexts might wind up being up for grabs now that the swing vote will be gone. Yeah, I think uh, that's an interesting debate that we're seeing playing out is whether or not, you know, the the Supreme Court will undo the Roe versus Wade decision and um, or if instead they'll just kind of do a death by a thousand cuts um, and really kind of chip away at it. And I think, you know, we'll have to we'll have to see. Of course, the Supreme Court doesn't overturn precedent lightly, uh, but we did see just earlier this week the court overturn a 41 year old precedent uh, in that Janus case about public union fees that I mentioned. Um, and, and that split the court again along five, four lines. And and one of the things that the dissenters said um, it was actually Justice Kagan's only written dissent of the term. Uh, she was quite upset about the fact that, um, you know, the majority had overturned that precedent. And um, she said she accused the majority of just picking a winner um, and not really following through on, you know, what the court has said uh, in its previous cases about uh, stare decisis and uh, really sticking by its, its older cases. So um, it'll be interesting to see if uh, that kind of carries through with the new nominee. Uh, What about timing for this new nominee? Any ideas? On when the nominee is actually, when there's going to be a nomination? Yeah. Um, I think we saw just recently that Trump is looking to announce the nomination possibly even before Kennedy actually fully retires at the end of July. I've seen that Trump's thinking possibly of doing it sometime in early July, so uh, we'll see, you know, who that nominee is and how the Senate reacts or or doesn't react to it. We will begin our search for a new justice of the United States Supreme Court that will begin immediately. Yeah, we've got a list of 25 names that the Trump administration has put out, some that did um, when it was just candidate Trump, um, others who were added just last fall, and Trump has committed to uh, picking from that list. Uh, We've heard a few uh, front runners, uh, particularly Brett Kavanaugh out of the D.C. Circuit. But, you know, Jordan, I don't know if you know this, but... Probably not. (laughs) President Trump, he doesn't like to be predictable. That's true. Yeah, so, so. Uh, Dennis Rodman, keep your phone on. <laughs> that would be that would be fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, what do you think the chances of this nominee getting through uh, the Senate is? I would be very surprised if whoever Trump nominates is not confirmed. Yeah, we see uh, Republicans, even those Republicans who don't really like Donald Trump and a lot of his policies have been sticking by him on on judicial nominees and uh, especially in the context of the Supreme Court. We saw all the Republicans uh, last time around uh, except one who was recovering from back surgery. They all voted for Justice Gorsuch. On this vote, the ayes are 54, the nays are 45. The nomination of Neil M. Gorsuch of Colorado to be an associate justice of the Supreme Court of the United States is confirmed. So even though the Republicans have a pretty slim majority, just 51 to 49, uh, I think they'll be able to uh, pull this one off and maybe even pull over some Democrats who are up for re-election in districts or in states that Donald Trump won. Yeah, I I would be surprised if whoever Trump nominates is is not confirmed. The Senate stands ready to fulfill its constitutional role by offering advice and consent 
on President Trump's nominee to fill this vacancy. We will vote to confirm Justice Kennedy's successor this fall. What about this idea that um, Democrats are saying uh, that last, you know, President Obama had nominated uh, Merrick Garland uh, to fill Justice Scalia's seat um, after he passed away, and you know he still had many more months in his uh, presidential term, but the Republican-held Senate kind of blocked his nomination, saying that the people should have a voice um, in the election year. And now we hear, uh, you know, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer saying that uh, it would be hypocrisy if. the Republicans didn't wait until after these midterm elections. Of course, if Republicans were consistent, they would wait to consider Justice Kennedy's successor until after the midterm elections. Time and time again, Leader McConnell justified his unjustifiable blockade of Merrick Garland by claiming the American people should have a voice in deciding the next Supreme Court justice. That was in February of an election year. It's now almost July. If the Senate's constitutional duty to advise and consent is just as important as the President's right to nominate, which the Constitution says it is, why should a midterm election be any less important than a presidential election? Leader McConnell is simply engaging in hypocrisy. Uh, What do you make of that? Well, the whole thing is made up, right? And so uh, when uh, President Obama nominated Merrick Garland, uh, Mitch McConnell, he cited something that uh, then Senator Biden had said and, uh, you know, used that as a precedent to hold up the uh, nomination of uh, Merrick Garland. I don't know if the senator had abided by anything else that Joe Biden had said to <laughs> accomplish things that he didn't want to accomplish. But but even though it's, you know, uh, sort of a fake rule, let's sort of game it out. So I think when Mitch McConnell said that the American people should have a voice in who the next nominee is going to be, he was talking about through the election of the president, and that wound up being Donald Trump. That was actually, for some people, I think, a decisive issue, uh, perhaps one of many factors that led to Trump being elected. Here, we're talking about uh, the Ameri- now when Democrat uh, senators talk about using some version of that Biden rule or McConnell rule or whatever the fake rule is now. Now it's a new fake rule. Um, They're talking about the uh, American people voting in the midterm elections. Now the voice of the American people is not the president, but it's the senators who will be deciding whether to, um, the people in Congress uh, deciding uh, whether to confirm or reject the nominee. So well, and um, only only a third of the senators, too, I mean, because only a third of them are for election this this term. Right. So who the voice of the American people is, is changing depending on, you know, who the Senate wants or doesn't want to be confirmed. So I think really what it comes down to, whoever's in the majority can say whatever they want to try and justify what they're doing, but it'll come down to who has the votes. And so that's what leads me to say that uh, whoever Trump nominates will probably be confirmed. Well, we have, uh, even though the Supreme Court wrapped up its 27th term, it seems like we'll still have a lot of SCOTUS news throughout the summer. You can follow along with all the latest developments with Jordan and I. We're both on Twitter. I'm at Kay Robinson. I'm at Jordan underscore S underscore Rubin. Today's audio is courtesy of C-SPAN. And you can also follow along at news.bloomberglaw.com. Thanks so much for listening. Have a good summer. <laughs>